Perfect Hormone Balance for Pregnancy. This is a new book by Dr. Robert Green. Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the author, Dr. Robert Green. He's an assistant clinical professor at UC Davis Medical School. He recently merged his ob practice with the Scheer Institute for Reproductive Medicine. Dr. Green has published numerous articles in the medical literature and has recently finished his fourth consumer health book. Welcome to ReachMD. How are you doing today? Uh, Dr. Green, four books. Wow. Yeah, and, and now we're even starting to plan the fifth. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I won't talk about your addictive writing, huh? <laughs> Tell us how you started your career as an author while being a very busy, busy ob Well, you know, it's, it's a great question because what I was encountering, I've been doing research in the field of neuroendocrinology, or what I like to call the hormone-brain connection, for almost 17 years now, and as a result of that research, which is originally targeted towards menopause, but it's branched off towards sexual dysfunction and mood disorders and chronic pain disorders and sleep disorders, I was giving over 100 lectures a year and doing this year after year and often to very selective audiences and very specific specialties. And it became frustrating that, you know, first of all, we weren't often you know, uh, communicating across specialties, but we also weren't conveying this information uh, to the patients who often needed the, the information the most. That's why I decided one day, you know what, the same information that I enjoy giving so much in my lectures to my colleagues, I would just use different terms and package it a little differently and put the information out there for consumers. So I decided that I wanted to start writing evidence-based books direct for the public. Hmm. Logistically, how do you do it? Do you set aside a certain amount of time every day, or do you write in binges? How do you, how do, you do it? Well, that's one of the great things, is you and I have talked about so many times, Leslie, I'm not a person that sleeps a lot. <laughs> and I find that those quiet hours in the, in the darkness of night when people aren't emailing and faxing, those are usually my best writing times. The other thing I do is when I'm on airplanes traveling to and from lectures, I'm taking along a laptop, and that's when I'm getting a lot of my writing done. You know, I wonder how many books are written on airplanes. That's my favorite time to write as well. Absolutely. Not only that, I've, I've learned why hotels actually have desks in them. <laughs> now, your most recent book uh, is called Perfect Hormone Balance for Pregnancy, and the cover has a very beautiful pregnant woman on it. Tell us about that. You know, I'm actually blushing hearing you say that because it's so funny. The model that's on the cover of that book could be my wife's twin sister, but it's actually not my wife, and and the people that designed the cover didn't even know that my wife was pregnant at the time that they selected that, but it became a a great source of laughter for us uh, amongst friends and whatnot because everyone that knows my wife and I believes that that's her on the cover, and it's not. <laughs> well, it's a great story. It, it, well, and it's absolutely true. I'm telling you, if you saw her, my wife's picture, you, you wouldn't believe the resemblance. Huh. But the thing that's amazing is what we're trying to make people realize is that pregnancy can and should be a time that women feel healthy and well. But what's happened today is we've created so many changes in our diet and our lifestyle that women are used to feeling badly during pregnancy, so much so that as a fertility specialist, on a regular basis, I'm having to reassure patients that feel good that there's not a problem with their pregnancy. People expect to feel bad, and it shouldn't be that way. And uh, with your plan, women don't have to feel badly? Well, 
one of the things I'm always getting back to, and, and, and it's the ongoing theme in all the neuroendocrine research I've been involved in, is that people's symptoms matter. You know, in medicine, we've been taught to ask about people's symptoms and to use that information to decide what tests to order or what questions we should ask. But ironically, when it comes to pregnancy, as well as menopause for that matter, women today are often mistakenly, in my mind, told to embrace their symptoms as part of these natural transitions. Quite the opposite. I could tell you, for instance, that, you know, as I talk about in the pregnancy book, great example is if you look at nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. If you ignore nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, current research suggests that you are very significantly increasing that patient's risk of developing gestational diabetes or toxemia. So identifying the patient that's nauseous, trying to figure out why and correct that nausea, we've got every reason to believe that we can reduce that risk. And how do you do it? How do you treat nausea? Well, one great example is very often it's just uh, B vitamin deficiency. Sometimes it's changing the diet. For instance, women in our society, it's been shown that about 80%, that's 80 percent of women have some nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Believe it or not, amongst vegetarian societies and people that don't eat quite as much animal products as we do in the U.S., it's generally about 5%. So sometimes something as simple as decreasing the amount of, of meat or animal products that someone's eating can be a dramatic reduction when it comes to nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Now, partly uh, what you suggest is to look at hormones and, of course, balancing our hormones in pregnancy. But many of our colleagues uh, view this as very controversial. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, unfortunately, ignorance breeds controversy. You know, the thing that I always do in every lecture I give, in every article or book that I write, is I make sure that everything I say is very, very strongly evidence-based. And one thing you and I both know is that we're all challenged today to practice evidence-based medicine. So anyone that wants to say that anything I'm saying is controversial needs to first look at the evidence that I cite, and then if you have some evidence that shows that what I'm saying isn't true, Let's discuss it, because that's how we get better. But very often, people want to hang on to an old idea that they learned many years ago instead of going out there and reading the latest research. And that's really not how we advance our science. For those who are just tuning in, welcome to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Green, author of Perfect Hormone Balance for Pregnancy, among other books. So, Dr. Green, do you advocate then sometimes using hormonal treatments during pregnancy? Oh, absolutely. I'll give you the most obvious example. I've been correcting progesterone deficiencies as a fertility specialist for almost 10 years as a way of of improving first trimester pregnancy rates, you know, reducing first trimester miscarriages, and even talking about how this should be the first technique to reducing preterm labor for women in the third and even the second trimester. And ironically, it's literally only within the last year and a half that this has become a popular discussion. Instead, people would want to use asthma medications that that are beta-adrogenergics or using things like magnesium sulfate to stop contractions when just giving more progesterone, the hormone that 
quote-unquote promotes gestation, that's where its name came from, is very often all that needs to be done. Now, how about after delivery? Um, Many of us treat women postpartum, and uh, certainly that can be another uh, shaky time, certainly in terms of providers' emotions about using hormonal replacement. Uh, What do you advocate here? Well, again, it's, it's a common sense approach. What I try to advocate throughout each of the books I write is first dialing the patient into the diet and the lifestyle changes they can often make on their own in order to correcting their symptoms whenever possible. Because clearly if someone, for instance, has problems with insulin resistance and they can correct that through diet and lifestyle changes, that's the best solution. But when that fails, it's great that we do have more and more tools available today to correct these things with medication. And again, the controversy swirls around people that aren't aware of the current research. And instead of wanting to go and look at the research and have uh, an intellectual debate, people will often say, oh, I don't believe in that. Well, I don't practice medicine based on belief. I practice medicine based on evidence. And this is what the evidence today shows is appropriate and what we should all be looking toward. Now, you and I both think agree that the busy excuse is not a good excuse to keep you from doing things and challenging yourself. So what advice do you have for maybe some of our physician listeners who have a book inside of them, but they're too busy to actually get it on paper? The most important thing is decide how important it really is to you. If it's something you really feel passionate about and you really think you've got a good message and you want to get it out there, absolutely you need to do it because really with most of us having less and less time to talk with our patients, this is one of the best ways to communicate, whether it's through a blog or uh, journal articles or even patient newsletters or a more organized book. Clearly, I think using out-of-office means of communication is one of the ways we could really reach out and better inform those people that we're really in charge of taking care of. That's a great way to look at it, that actually maybe you're saving time in the long run. Exactly. Think about how often you maybe answer the same question over and over again, whereas if you wrote something up, you could pass that out and say, why don't you read this? And then if you still have questions, we could talk about it. Did you ever think that you'd be the author of so many books? To be perfectly honest, no. I never thought I would, and and if I didn't really enjoy it after the first couple, I'm sure it's not something I would have continued. Now, what role does your co-author play? That's a great question. One of the most important things is that in a field that is so very technical in terms of neuroendocrinology, I'm often talking to Ph.D. neuroscientists, and it's often difficult, if not impossible, for us to remember what it was like before we had the knowledge that we do My system that I work with my co-author is I always write the first draft, send it off to her, and she looks at it and tells me what she thinks and sends back questions and reworks it to a certain degree and then sends it back. And then things generally go back and forth two or three times until we're into the final draft. You know, I think that's a really good point. Even for those uh, physicians who are listening who aren't contemplating writing books, the one of my favorite books is by the Heath brothers um, called Made to Stick. And they talk quite a lot about what they call the curse of knowledge. And, and oh, we, yeah. we have it. We have the curse of knowledge. And we do have to remember that not everybody has such a background. Absolutely. And, you know, especially the broader your target audience, the more general you have to make things. But You also can't make it so that it's so broad in general that it's not interesting enough to keep people engaged. So walking that line, I think the best way to do it is to have 
someone that you really trust because really there's few things, you know, aside from, you know, the first time you, you get naked in front of someone as raw as, as giving someone your basic writing and being able to take the criticism that they're going to have when if you write something that you were really pleased with and they just absolutely hate it. So you got to have a, a good working relationship. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Oh, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. We've been discussing his books on hormone balance with Dr. Robert Green. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 